you know, the four or five percent of the people that have near-death experiences, there ain't no words for that, man. The best I can do is love, joy, peace, and calm. Hello, my name is Matthew Sortino and welcome to Moments of Clarity. Today I'm speaking to Danny Bader. Danny Bader is a best-selling author and inspirational coach whose life was transformed by a near-death experience more than 20 years ago. Through his journey of struggle and recovery, Danny earned some real-life, first-hand expertise in turning tragedy into purpose, enhancing the power of vision to live a happier, more productive, and more fulfilled life. In 2007, he created a business that aims to help others truly understand themselves by creating a powerful vision for their futures. Danny has distilled his philosophy for a fulfilling life into five principles he calls Jackrabbit. His unique framework helps people craft vision, renew energy, and leverage positive mindsets to get out of the monotony and discouragement they have been stuck in for far too long. Danny has written four books, Back from Heaven's Front Porch, Five Principles to Create a Happy and Fulfilling Life, Abraham's Diner, Simple Wisdom for More Control, Focus, and Inspiration, I Met Jesus for a Miller Light, and Back to Life, The Path of Resilience. Danny also has a podcast called Back to Life that is available anywhere you listen to podcasts and is well worth subscribing to. Danny and I spoke around the time of Are You OK Day in Australia, a day that shines light on the suffering many people go through on a daily basis. Today's conversation delves into some of the reasons we struggle to find happiness and satisfaction and why many of us despair and dwell when faced with challenges. Danny talks about his journey of coming back from the brink of a deep, dark depression and how he developed a vision to be happy and hopeful again. I took so much out of my chat with Danny and believe everyone will walk away from this conversation with some extra tools on the tool belt as we journey through life. Thank you for listening to Moments of Clarity. And now without further delay, I bring you Danny Bader. Danny Bader, welcome to Moments of Clarity. Thank you, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be here from across the globe. Yeah, absolutely. Across the globe. Um, where, where are you based at the moment? We are based outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States. Great, great to have you here in uh, in Melbourne. Uh, even though we are connected, you know, via Zoom, it's it's a, an absolute pleasure. Oh, mine too. Yeah, I've not been to Australia, so I, I would love to get over there sometime and enjoy the country and the people and the spirit of the country. Yeah, brilliant. So let's get started, Danny. With you know, where did you grow up? Did you grow up around Philadelphia, or is that you made that your new home recently? I did. Yeah, no, Matthew. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and. Um, Moved just once when we were young. And I say we, you know, my mom and dad, thankfully, are still alive. My dad's 91. My mom's 82. And I've got um, a sister who is our oldest sibling. And then there were seven boys that came after her. So I'm one of eight children. It was kind of the Irish Catholic version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So, uh, yeah, grew up outside the Philly area. Went to college in um, Allentown, very close to Philadelphia. Uh, Played college basketball for a few years majored in accounting, graduated, took a couple jobs that I really didn't enjoy. Probably shouldn't majored in accounting. That was a wrong turn, so to speak, but uh, no offense to my financial accountants out there. I love what you do. I need you. We need you. So after that, I, I took some jobs and really didn't enjoy them. And I thought, I'm not ready for this, you know, real world, you know, real job thing. So I, I traveled a bit and I spent a few winters in Aspen, Colorado. I really enjoyed the restaurant business and tending bar and skiing and being outside. So I did that for, um, I guess, a few years. And then I came back home and I I was ready to go back to Colorado. I'd been there twice, 
And I was really intrigued with the place and I had some wonderful friends. And my life was really easy until I was 28 years of age. I didn't have much crisis. And, you know, I think I had my heart broken once freshman year of college, but that was about it. And um, I was getting ready to go back to Aspen, Colorado. I was going to get my real estate license and work out there. I mean, that, that's what I had chosen. And um, I had an accident when I was 28 where a friend and I, it's the end of the day and we're lowering this metal ladder. And we saw the electric lines overhead and we thought we would be clear of them and we weren't. And the electric lines had about eight to 10,000 volts of electricity in there that raced down the metal ladder and, and went into both of our bodies. And the, the short story really, Matthew, is it killed both of us. There's no question that I, w- I was no longer of this world. I was dead when I was 28. The other brother that was there, the eyewitness, um, would often tell me that I was probably dead for eight minutes to the best of his recollection in those moments. But um, I had no sense of time because I wasn't there anymore. So that was, you know, if, if you go to the movies and, and we watch all these movies and you understand writing and screenplays at all, and even if you don't, there's always an inciting incident, they call it, in a screenplay or a movie. And an inciting incident is that incident that happens kind of to the main character. And after that, life will never be the same again. So it happens to Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. You know, it happens to all the superheroes. It happens to, to uh, Rocky Balboa in the Rocky series. There's that one incident and you go, man, Life's never going to be the same. And that was, that was it for me. And I think most of us have at least one of those in life. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you grew up without any real issues. Had you faced or you and your family faced any tragedies prior to this event? No, not really. No. I mean, we, we had a lot of health in our family. You know, thankfully we were from a middle, you know, middle American family. You know, I went to Catholic school. I had braces you know, I got one pair of new sneakers every year, and then I would, I would try to steal my older brothers. We had a lot of love in the family. Our grandparents, you know, majority of them lived up into their 90s, and, and my grandma was 101. So even, even like the loss of a grandparent we didn't experience, it was, um, it was, life was relatively easy for me there. I didn't have a whole lot of need for resilience and some of those other things. Yeah, so, so at 28, you, you'd lowered the ladder, you'd both died at that point in time. You, you mm-hmm. both did. And I know that your, your friend wasn't able to, to come back. Right. What, what was your friend's name? What was, what was his name? And yeah, what was my friend's name is Bruce and a wonderful guy. He was 36, had three children. His youngest, he had a, a son and two daughters. And his youngest daughter was only maybe two months old at the time of the accident. So she really didn't even know him. And yeah, he never was revived at all. You know, we, we were both killed. I came back and he did not. Yeah. So it, it was, you know, a huge tragedy, as you can imagine. You lose this guy. He's a wonderful guy. You know, I think of him every day. It's 28 years after the accident. And I still think of him. And he and his other brother, the one that came to me during the accident, they're both buried in the same cemetery up near my sister and my brother in law, about an hour's time from here. So when I go up there, um, the cemetery is about a mile and a half. You know, so I'll get up in the morning and just run up. You know, I just did it two weeks ago and I run up and I just visit them and I talk to them and, and tell them to, you know, bless us and keep an eye on us. And I never run back, you know, a little three mile run at seven o'clock in the morning. So yeah, it was tragedy. He's, he, he was a good man. Both of them, good men. Well, yeah. And, and what was, I guess, your initial reaction? What was the reaction from you, 
your family, his family? What was the the sense that you got as soon as you, sure. I guess, woke up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the sense when I came back, you know, to life on the accident, and that's the, you know, the one book I know you and I have talked about, I've written a couple of books. So, so Back to Life, The Path of Resilience is based on what happened to me. I wrote it fictitiously based on real events with a character in there named Jake, because when I started to write the story initially in 2000, gosh, seven, maybe, and this happened in 92, I just couldn't get any traction in writing the story because I had a lot of guilt about my friend being dead. I blamed myself. I thought, you know, how can you write a book and, and potentially make money as an author off of a story where you lost your friend? So I had a lot of stuff I had to, to kind of work through. But the initial reaction for me when I found out that the accident happened at four o'clock and when I found out that he had passed and I went to one hospital and my heart was still doing some crazy things and they put me on a helicopter and took me to another hospital, my initial reaction was, you know, a lot of shock. And just kind of a feeling like, oh, shit, my, my life's over. I'm, I'm never going to recover from this. That was not the reaction of all the people around me, my brothers and sisters and mom and dad and my girlfriend at the time, um, who has become my wife. Uh, and his family, certainly, they all said, hey, man, you, you got to get back. You got to get on with your life here. This was a tragic accident, but you, you need to get on with your life. And I was in the hospital then for 10 days. So that was a, a pretty dark dark place. I was in the ICU and, you know, you got, you got tubes just about in every part of your body. So yeah, pr- pretty dark place. And that dark place, was that completely internal? You mentioned, you know, all the people around you showing you love and, and kindness and care. I know that you've mentioned in, in some of your talks, the guilt that you felt and racked by mm-hmm. guilt. Um, had that reached you at that point in time or was it just that physical pain and, and the personal battle to actually just recover. And then guilt mm-hmm. came later. Sort of what stage did that guilt arrive for you? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, that, that guilt arrived for me. I, I think it probably arrived right away, you know, on that first day and that first night. So the accident occurred at 4 PM. And then, you know, I finally get to the other hospital and I, you know, I guess I'm trying to go to sleep in the ICU then at nine or 10 o'clock in the evening. My mom's there. My, my girlfriend is in the room with me. And I just, I, my mind was just racing with that. Physical pain was there, but it was more the emotional pain. You know, that, that guilt is such a, such a nasty emotion for us, such a, a nasty, you know, whether it's, you know, you have an accident like I had, you have a car accident, you say something wrong, you, you do something wrong in your relationship or your partner does something wrong and, and you feel they did that because you did something wrong. I mean, that guilt is just, uh, that's a tough one, man. And I'm sure a lot of our audience, your audience is, is listening. And at some point in their life, maybe even now, they're trying to work through some of that guilt, you know? Prior to the accident, had you felt guilt that you can remember? Do you remember like a moment where you felt guilty? Yeah, I, I think I did just because, you know, certainly growing up Catholic, we're all made mm. to feel guilty when we do yes. bad things, right? <laughs> you know, if we, uh, if, we, if we drink too much or we use a curse word or we miss church on Sunday. So I think I experienced that kind of guilt. You know, I got caught doing some dumb things in high school and in college, you know, whether it was, you know, drinking beer underage, you get caught by the cops or, you know, you know smoking a little weed in college. You just, uh, you do some stupid things, right? And you know, I, I certainly felt guilt like that, but, but that didn't last long. 
this guilt was a part of my fabric. It was really becoming a part of who I was, you know, because your, your friend's not here, man, you know? And if you'd have, if I'd have stopped when I saw those wires and we both saw them, but if I'd have stopped and just said, Hmm, man, let's think about this for a minute. Then the, you know, the whole trajectory of life would, would be different now, you know? So that was the guilt that I was, that I was dealing with. And then the guilt, you know, when you have that guilt over yourself, you know, then that just starts to play on who the person is and your, and your self-esteem gets in and, and you're, you know, you just, you just beat yourself up. I guess the, the reason I asked about previously is because I guess we all feel that feeling, but it's all relative and, and perspective is the word that comes into it. You know, what, what are you actually guilty about? You know, smoking a bit of weed, having a bit of a laugh, you know, maybe even saying something you shouldn't have, but there's, there's forgiveness that's able to come from that. There's a chat. There's something that you can easily do to maybe remove that guilt. But yeah. you, what, what was your journey in, in, I guess, suffering from that guilt to start with once, you know, you'd recovered? Yeah, well, it was just, it was just trying to, d- to deal with it myself and not let anybody else in that was trying to help me. You know, I was certainly cordial to them and, and loving to them, but I wouldn't let them in. I had to deal with this on my own. They didn't understand what I was going through. You know, I, I don't deserve to be happy now. It was almost like I had to, you know, do my own penance kind of thing. But here's the thing. When people went around, if anybody's going through something right now that's listening, you know, I don't, I don't care whether it's relationship, whether it's, whether it's addiction, whether whatever you're going through right now, I guarantee there's people that, that are, are looking to support and love you. And sometimes we don't let them in because we go, oh, they, they don't understand what I'm going through. Well, I, here's bullshit. They, they don't need to understand what you're going through and they probably can't because they're not you. But if they love you, that's where you're going to get better. You're not going to get better. You're not going to move through difficult times because somebody says, oh, I understand exactly what it's same thing happened to me. You're going to move through difficult times because they go, I love you and I'm here for you and let's keep going. That's how we move through the difficult times. So, yeah, I try to offer people, take that. They don't understand what I'm going through out. They don't need to. They showed up and they love you. And sometimes they go, yeah, but they say dumb things. Well, they don't intend to say dumb things. They just come out differently. But you should reframe and go, well, you know what? At least they said something to me. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the major lessons I learned. When we are going through the shit, it's okay to just say, I need some help. I listened to your Packing for the Journey TED Talk on, on YouTube and um, I recommend everyone gets a, a chance to have a look at that. And I know it was aimed for sort of um, students, but it was, it was really an amazing way to frame the journey of life and, you know, how to overcome things. But you mentioned in that mm-hmm. that you went through a really tough time, a time that, you know, you may not have come back from once the guilt and the suffering that you were feeling was too much to bear. Can you take us, you know, through that dark time there and then also yeah. who, you, who you went for for love? Right. Yeah, so, so that packing for the journey, I love that one. That was for students. They were about middle school, you know, sixth, seventh grade. I know you work with young people as well, up until high school. So, yeah, that was a good one. I did enjoy that. Thank you, Matthew, for, for taking a look at that one. Yeah, the journey is this. The journey is I come home from the hospital 10 days later, I, I realize I've got this crazy dialogue of voices going in my head that's going, you screwed up. It's your fault. You don't deserve to be happy. Life's over. And it just kept going like that. So 
you know, you start to look for escapes, right? I mean, I, I enjoy my beer, but was drinking it for all the wrong reasons back then. Abused some other substances that I, that I should not have abused because it was just a way to numb out, you know? You don't want to deal with how you feel and you don't want to deal with that very low level of self-worth that you have. So we just numb out through, through whatever. We medicate ourselves. And then what happens is, you know, you wake up the next day with a new hangover and, and the same situation. Nothing changes from that. So I was caught in that downward slide for um, the accident was July up until October. And in October, I took a trip down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And if, you know, if anybody grabs the book, much of the book is true. So they'll see the character Jake go down there. And I was just kind of done, man. I mean, I, I thought God had really screwed this up. You know, I'm a man of strong faith. I was then before the accident. That certainly tested my faith. And, um, you know, I was about done. And I one day down there, I went into this store and I looked for a hose. And my, my plan was, I'm just, you know, going to put the hose in the tailpipe of my Jeep, drive one to the... Um, you know, drive on to the beach and just go to sleep, you know, cause I couldn't take it anymore. I, I had just about given up and that's where I was. I know it's Nas- national suicide prevention day yesterday. Well, in Australia mm-hmm. it was, and, and, and we call it, are you okay day? Um, where everyone should go and, and ask a mate or ask someone that they know, you know, are you okay? And, mm-hmm. and I think one of the major points is, what to say after they say no. And, you know, mm-hmm. talking about suicide and talking about have they had thoughts and, and had a plan. And that's almost the danger zone. Once you've done that, you know, you don't have long to act. So what, what actually mm-hmm. took you from the brink there? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That's a, that's a great point. And, um, you know, that, that is having been so close to that act of self-destruction, you know, any, anybody that's listening that, that has been there understands coming back is, is what we need to do. Anybody that might be close right now, as you said, make the call, call the, the hotline, the prevention hotline, talk to somebody right then, but get in action, get out and, and start moving. Um, there's a great podcast on my website too, with a, a woman named Janet Sarkos. She runs a suicide prevention organization up in North Jersey. And it's really, really good for anybody that's starting to feel the pain of of that and, and seeing, you know, that as a choice. Cause it's not the choice. It's, it, trust me, I was there. It is, it is not the choice to make. There's, there's too much to do for you here in this world. There's too many people here for you to love in this world. So yes, that's not the choice. And my email is Danny at dannybader.com. So you can get me an email if you need to, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk and we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. So the thing that shifted me in that moment down there, I was um, walking back to my motel room in the Outer Banks, and it was in the afternoon, and I was pretty drunk or pissed, I guess, as we would say in, in <laughs> Australia, right? And I saw a phone booth, you know, which are certainly not even around anymore. Young people have no... When I talk about a phone booth, they're like, what are you talking about? We just use FaceTime and Venmo. I'm like, no, you needed a phone and money. <laughs> So I'm telling you, man, it was like a, a divine intervention or some type of magic. Like I was, this, this phone booth, it was almost like out of a movie or something, you know, sitting on the edge of a parking lot and there's a light shining down on it. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I go in and I call my mom and she says to me, um, she said, when are you coming home? We can't wait to see you. 
And those words, that question, just something, the, the, the switch in my head, somebody, she flipped it. And I'm like, what am I doing, man? You know, thinking about taking my own life. It, it just kind of snapped me out of it. And, um, you know, I'm crying in the phone booth and she didn't know how desperate I was. So I said, you know, I love you too, mom. I'll be home in a, in a couple of days. And sure enough, the next morning I got up and I, I got my Jeep and I started to make my trek back home, but that was it. It was just that her concern, her love for me, just, um, something switched, something flipped. Oh, that's amazing. And it's, it's, uh, you said, you know, it takes a bit of love. It takes a bit of love to, to bring you back. And she didn't have to understand or even know your pain, but it's really that effect on you. And, and those memories would, would have flooded back of, you know, your life growing up with this person that has loved you and cared for you and raised you and birthed you, you know, it's yeah. mother, being a mother, a motherhood is one of those amazing things. My, my partner's pregnant at the moment. She's 26 weeks and to see her development and her love just staring at her belly and, you know, I'll never understand the love, even though I say that, you know, fathers do love their kids more than anyone and anything, but a mother's love is, is incredible. Oh yeah. For, for that, to, to, to have that, that life created inside of her. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, man. You will uh, make sure you really stay present and and enjoy that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It's good. So what was um, the next steps in, in the packing for the journey that you, you, Mm -hmm. you came to a realization that, you know, something had to give. So you've, mm-hmm. you've reached out to your mum, you've left the, the outer banks of North Carolina there. And um, what, what was the next step? How did you move from that place of depression, desolation, you know, regret and guilt to helping yourself recover? Sure. Sure. Well, I, you know, I'll just talk a little bit about the, the model that I offer to people and I coach around called Jackrabbit. And it's the five principles that I write about in the book. And, you know, it's kind of a foundation of the work that I do. And I believe the five principles do a couple of things. They help us get unstuck when we're stuck in life. They provide more happiness and, and presence for us. And with that, a little bit more fulfillment of what we're achieving. So gets us in a better mindset and some more happiness and, and gratitude as we're going about every day. And we seem to be producing some better goals in life, personally and professionally. I didn't realize that these principles were jackrabbit and they were helping me then because that was in 92, 1992. And then in 2007, I was at a coaching school with the Hudson Institute in Santa Barbara, getting my coaching certification. And I had to do a project at the end of that. So one of the projects was you could develop a model of principles like Stephen Covey had seven habits of highly effective people. Um, you know, there's a lot of gurus out there, self-help, whatever it might be, personal growth, and they have their framework and it's nothing new. I mean, these principles have been around for a long, long time. There are basic principles that will serve us as human beings to create life, life of joy, fulfillment, recovery, resilience. They've been around forever. You just, Danny Bader just put his spin on them because I had to, I had no choice. I had, I had to go on living. I, I knew at this point. I, I was going to go on living, but not just living. I wanted to really be alive. Living is going through the motions. That's what I was doing after the accident. That's what people do when they're in jobs that they don't like, when they're stuck in relationships, when they're, you know, they go in and out of recovery and addiction or whatever. It's like we're just living, you know, going through the paces. To be alive, to be fully alive, I, I believe, is to have that big, bold vision for your life 
be vulnerable to the fact that we are not perfect and we are going to make mistakes. And if we make mistakes and we understand that we shouldn't have too much guilt, you know, guilt comes from the fact that you go, oh, I shouldn't have made that mistake. So I go, oh, well, you're perfect. And they go, well, no, I'm not. I said, but you're acting as if you are. And, and none of us are. So, you know, one of the main principles that comes out of Jackrabbit and the reason, Matthew, that we call it Jackrabbit is of all the animals in the animal kingdom, the jackrabbit has really good vision. Its eyes are high up on its head and kind of far back. So it has this awareness, you know, when it sits there, it can see its whole environment. And that's so important for us as people. So the one thing, the vision piece, which is a, a developed vision is a core principle of the jackrabbit model, is when I hung up the phone with my mom, the little voice in my head that we all have, and some of our listeners may have three or four up there like me, that little voice in the head said, I wonder what it's going to be like when I get better. So that question now triggered my imagination of what's the future look like now for Danny Bader? You can't change the event. You can't change the loss of your wonderful friend, Bruce. You can't change that, but you can influence the future now and do good and, and be more alive. So what does that look like? So that was very powerful for me. You know, it, it kind of got my butt out of bed a little bit more when I kept thinking of a, a, of a more positive future state for me, you know, a more resilient state where I, I felt like, gosh, Danny's back, you know, had this tragic accident, but he's back. He's, he's waking up every day looking to serve and do good in the world. You know, he's got a, a, a strong belief in God again, and, he, and he's kind of back, back to life. You know, that's the podcast that I have, and that's the book. So that was the first principle that really kind of got me going there. So that was developed vision. The first principle that you did sort of unpack with your coaching course and, and Jackrabbit, but you'd lived that. So what was yeah. your first, yeah, was that your first vision to just get back to life? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the first principle. I thought, okay, I got to get a plan for the future. I got to get, mm. what does it look like? Where am I going? What, why am I back here? Why am I getting up every day? So I went back to school for a little while to work on my master's. I never did get it, but that was okay. But it still got me me into the game. It got me a sense of purpose. Um, I started going back to church. I started to talk more about my accident. I went back to work. You know, when, when we had the accident, we were roofing, we we're putting roof on the houses. And I went back to work with a surviving brother for a little while. So I was just starting to do, take action to, to get back into life, you know, from an education perspective, started to, to work out exercise again, started to go back to church you know, started to see my friends and my family that wanted to help me. So that was really important. You know, in vision, I think when you have a, a pretty good vision, that will influence you and, and get you more inspired and more focused on taking some actions. You know, so I, I, I believe, you know, we've got some T-shirts that we sell on our website with um, jackrabbitisms, we call them. And a proceed of our T-shirts go to the ALS um, therapy and development up in Boston, my brother-in-law is living courageously with ALS. So, you know, we, we do our best to just take uh, 20% of the proceeds and send them up there and just help where we can, you know, help where we can to cure ALS. So one of the shirts says IABWV, and it stands for It All Begins With Vision. And then it's got the words underneath. So what we do on the T-shirts is we just put an abbreviation and then underneath what that slogan is. Just keep, them, keep people more focused because if you're stuck right now in life, you're probably very much focused on where you are and how much that sucks and how much you don't want to be there. And you're probably even looking back going, well, that's the bad road that got me here. Spend some time and just 
say, okay, I, I get it. Here's where I am. It's, it's not the best. And I'm, I'm okay. What's going to look like when it gets better in three months, in six months? Start to really write that, that story, that script out, and see if that doesn't give you a little bit more inspiration and some focus on action. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful concept. Yeah. Is it important when you are developing that vision and looking at the future that you are looking at what you can take responsibility for, or is it just a general vision? Like I'm going to win Tatsloto or this person will save me, or does it have to come from within? Is it your actions? I think it's such a Yeah. Great question. It comes from within. I mean, one of the principles we'll get to is to seek support, right? From other people and from yourself and your mindset and your belief. But the, the vision really has to be something that you can, you can influence, you can control, you can make happen. You can't say, well, in six months, I'm going to be back together with this person because now you got another person in the game and their vision might not be the same for you, right? You, you can, and it's got to be realistic. You know, you can't say, okay, in six months, I'm going to have made $10 million and you're looking around like you don't even have a business yet or anything. So it's got to be realistic. You know, you want to push the boundaries, but it's got to be realistic for you. And, and yeah. it's got to be yours. You know, mm. I'll work with some couples sometimes and they'll do a vision together and people say, is that okay if we do one with my, my spouse or my significant other partner? And I say, yeah, as long as you're both on the same page and, and you're looking at it and you're both committed to it because it will take both of you and, and your, um, your actions to make it happen. I, I guess something simple like weight loss, which is not simple, but simple in, in its idea is people say, I want to lose, you know, 30, 40 kilos, pounds, whatever it is. And sure. But the, the goal should actually be I want to work out four times a week. I want to go for 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. I want to stop eating takeaway. But the, the, sure. the goal ends up being the, the number at the end rather than the actions that get you there. So that's, that's where you, whatever it might be. Well, that's what we're yeah, vision is, vision is the story of your future state. But when you tell the story of your future state, you're telling where you are, right? I, I lost this many kilos. I made this much money. You know, I, I purchased this house. But if you're telling the story of that outcome, the story tells you how you got there. Mm. So in your vision, you want to have the outcomes that produce, you know, a good life and, and bring you more back to being alive. But you want to tell how you did it. And that's the steps. That's the habits that you build. So as you said, you know, a habit is... I'm going to eat fruit every morning for breakfast. All right. So you say, hey, listen, you may say to me, or I may say to you, Matthew, how you doing, man? It's been six months since we talked and you had a little vision around losing 20 kilos or whatever. Uh, what, what happened? You go, Danny, it's great. I'm down 20. And I'm like, well, why? What happened? Now you're going to start to tell me that. Well, I really developed some strong habits, eating a whole lot more fruit in the morning. I was exercising 30, 45 minutes, five days a week. You know, I signed up to run this, you know, this, this five kilo race and I never run a race before, but my, my mates, you know, they were there, they said we can do it. And I did it and I walked a little bit. So now you're telling me the story, right? Which are all the actions that you can take because while it all begins with vision, nothing happens without action. So yeah, it's a combination of, of that. And I've got, uh, you know, I think I have, I, I know I have out on my blog somewhere, if anybody wanted to search it, I have a video where I talk about that whole process of developing your vision. I even share mine and say, okay, here's how you write it. And, uh, I, you know, I do it a lot with a lot of folks in my workshops and they love it, you know, because they're telling the story of, of where they're headed and who doesn't love a good story, right, of, of bringing more value into our life and the lives of our, our people and perhaps the people that work for us or work with us. So, yeah, it's powerful.
Danny, we're going through this and, and the developing of the vision. And at times I feel that some people are confused potentially with what's going to bring them happiness. Is there mm-hmm. a step within that that's about sort of defining you and your values and what you love and what inspires you? Is that part of that journey? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, you've got to go into your values as well and say, okay, these, these are the values that I like. I, I like staying strong in my relationships. I like doing meaningful work for myself. You know, I like having financial you know, money and all, but it's not the end all and be all. If I'm getting money doing work that I don't like, then I'm out of value right now. I'm out of my values. So you definitely have to do that. And I would encourage people, you know, if you're, if you're kind of lost a little bit, and I'm going to have lunch with a, a friend of mine next week, um, same thing. What are your values? And you can go out online. There's a lot of people that do great value work. You know, I have some that I do, but just go out and just Google, you know, f- finding my values, connecting to my values. And you'll find some really great people, uh, you know, like us in our line of work. And they'll say, okay, here's the values. Circle the top five or seven that you like. You know, is it honesty, integrity, spirituality, deep relationships, free time, you know, health? What is it? Volunteering, service. And you circle them and then you look and you go, okay, in my waking hours when I'm not sleeping, how much of my activity is engaged in these things? And if you're good, you're going, yeah, I'm good. If you're not, you're like, oh, you know, there's a great book called The, uh, the Top Five Regrets of the Dying. I know I have it here. I, I've saved just a couple. And it's by a wonderful lady. I think she's Australian or uh, maybe from Tasmania, but her name is Bronnie Ware, W-A-R-E. We might want to drop a link to that too. Yep. It's a brilliant book. She was a singer and a songwriter. And she, was, um, she had left her career because was not satisfied. And she found herself taking care of people at the end of life's journey. So she came in as a palliative care, you know, and she wasn't a nurse. And she would go in to take care of some of these older folks and their younger children who may be 50 or 60. You know, Bronnie had to say to them, listen, I'm not a nurse. Like she was very authentic. And they said, we don't care. My mom loves having you there. My dad loves you. But she wrote this, the top five regrets of the dying, and you have to look at them. One is, I wish I allowed myself to be happier. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I stayed in touch with my friends. Um, I wish I lived a life according to my terms and not what other people wanted. And uh, I'm drawing a blank on the fifth. But yeah, brilliant book for you to read too, because here we go through life. And at the end of life, we've got these people saying, Here's the top five regrets. So some people may go, well, that's a morbid book. I mean, that's depressing reading about people who are at the end of life's journey. And I'm going, yes, or, and it's very uplifting because you're hearing those stories. And now at 56 years of age, I am. And and how old are you, Matthew? I'm 31. Yeah. 31. Oh my goodness. You young lad, young (laughs) mate. But you're reading these stories and it gives you the ability to sit and go, wow. These five regrets are pretty consistent across a lot of people. If I was to die tomorrow or next week, would I have any of these regrets about staying in touch with my people, you know, doing work that I enjoyed, living life on my terms and and what I wanted? You know, it's, it's a good read. So, yeah, a lot of values. You know, your vision has to be consistent with your values. You know, for me to go work 80 hours a week, to make an awful lot of money doing something that I don't like to do. No way, man, not going to do it. Not going to do it. You know, the work that I do now 
you know, like you, the podcasting and, and the speaking and the writing and the blogging, creating content and maybe repurposing or sharing other people's content, you know, in, in giving them full credit for it to support other people on this life's journey. That's what it's all about. That's all I'll do for the rest of my life. I'm, I'll never, that's all, that's all I'll do. So I'm very clear on that as a purpose, my purpose then it's like, okay, how do I do that? Is it another book? Is it, is it growing the podcast? Is it writing the screenplays and trying to get some movies made? But that's, that, you know, that's the purpose. I think um, my personal journey, which I'm currently in, is coming up with a step to create, to, to put positivity in the world. What inspires me and how can I then inspire others and I think mm-hmm. that's that was my first step and how is it that I can live a life where I'm not a hypocrite I'm not saying I care about the climate and then I go and put my air conditioner on you know 16 degrees when when it's you know hot outside 16 celsius right. for those you right. know, Americans <laughs> but um, yeah that would be a bit chilly for us <laughs> but um how can I say that how can I go through life constantly saying I care about these things Mm. And then not living out those things yourself, sure. because then you're actually feeling that guilt again. You're feeling those yeah. those issues again. So it's about being fair to yourself and saying, "What can I do today to make yep. this world better? To make my life better and my actions more meaningful?" That's um, it. And and I'm in that step, but occasionally I'll jump into that negativity. The and and at the moment, you know, in Melbourne, we're in stage four lockdown for the coronavirus, and sure, we're at each other's throats a little bit with analyzing the, the the science analyzing what the med- medical experts are saying what business wants you know what kids want at schools and what parents want and everyone's got their little um personal story which they want to maybe be heard because there's not many people to talk to at the moment so you know yeah. throwing out those um articles that outrage others throwing out those thoughts that outrage people and, and it just gets to a spiral of negativity and where you end up fighting with friends or, or neighbours. So how important is it to, I guess, build a vision? How would you build a vision from that point where you're stuck in this loop of negativity, you're doom scrolling on the internet, news is bad, you don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of months with lockdown or parties or Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. is it going to be with your family or alone? What is it that people can do now, do you think, at that first step of your Jack Rabbit principles to get them yeah. out of that rut? Yeah, there, there's a couple of things. And I find myself in it as well. You know, my, my business, the primary mo- business model for me was to be out on the road speaking with groups of live people in rooms, right? In conference rooms, in hotels, in training rooms. So I had a really good first quarter this year. And then March, you know, mid-March came with all this. So I, I have to, you know, get myself out of these funks from time to time too. There's times when I wake up and I'm like, oh shit, man, I do not feel like getting out of bed right now. So I, I think there's a couple of things is, is number one, develop a vision for yourself. What would it look like for you in the next three, four, five, six months with what you can control? You know, what you can control. There's still a lot of uncertainty around, uh, you know, the coronavirus and the lockdowns and things. What's important also, I think really important here is you got to watch the story that you're telling yourself about this situation. And if you're scrolling Facebook and all these other social medias, I got to tell you, man, I see about 90, 95% is all negative. And you ought to see right now as we're coming up on the election for the United States president in the, in the next two months, right? November. 
So I, I just make it a point not to even go there and to catch myself if I do. So I would encourage everybody just really kind of be stop for a minute, shake your head, stand up, you know, look around and say, get outside of your body almost and self-coach. Just watch yourself and say, all right, for the past two days now, let me play back what I did every day for the past two days. Really watch how you engaged with people. Watch what you ate. Watch how you exercised or you didn't. Watch how you engaged with social media and, and really look for the opportunities to go, oh my gosh, this is not serving me well. This is just taking me down that negative track because all the voices in our head, you know, that's all our, our beliefs and our story and our mindset and all those things. So I'll oftentimes just catch myself of what I'm saying. And then sometimes I'll even write it down. I just write down all these negative statements that are coming out of my mind about, about my job, about the career, about coronavirus, about the kids not being in college, whatever. And then I look and I go, that, that's not, that's not going to create the energy in me that's going to move me to productive actions. So you got to write them down. You got to say, how else could I think about this? You don't discount that we're in difficult times. We are. And so you don't say, but, because if you say, but then that everything went came before it is we're in difficult times, but well, we are in difficult times. Don't say, but we're in difficult times. And here's a couple of things that I'm going to do to increase my levels of happiness and joy and fulfillment and put myself in a better position in a career when this does start to open up again, because now where's your belief? I believe this will open up again. I believe I will be standing in front of 500 people giving a talk. I mean, that, that's the belief that I'm operating from. And I can have that belief. And you can go, nope, you're screwed. It's never going to get back to normal. And I'm like, okay, that's your belief. My belief is this. Well, why do you believe that? Well, because look at where we've been as a world and as countries. And I also believe that there's some tremendous medical minds out there that will figure this out. So they're my belief. So if I, if I have those beliefs then I better get back down at the computer and create some content and get on LinkedIn and make some more business connections with leaders that might want to bring me into their organizations, either virtually or in person. You've got to watch that, that, that crap that you're, you say in your head. And I'll, I'll, you and I were talking, Matthew, there's a great book. You know, I love to read. This is called uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl, for those of you that don't know him, he was in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And he was a, a psychiatrist and very well known, you know, somewhat of a celebrity. And, you know, they said that, that Hitler said, well, if we can break him, then we'll, we'll, we'll break the spirit of countries because this guy is just so respected and revered by the people. So Viktor Frankl went into the concentration camps and um, he lost his whole family, he lost his wife. You know, they were all murdered in those concentration camps. So nothing you know, the genocides that, that we've seen over the years, they're, they're like the most horrific atrocities ever. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, most of us, I'm just sitting here in a reasonably comfortable house with food and with, you know, life's basic necessities. What Viktor Frankl said, which I think is so cool, he said this, and he, he quoted the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche a lot. He said, the last of our human freedoms, and I want everybody to listen, listening to this or watching, the last of our human freedoms, while well, he had none in the concentration camps, the last of our human freedoms is our ability to choose our attitude in any given set of circumstances. So 
he saw the guards at the prison concentration camps as just husbands and fathers that were doing their job and they just wanted to go home to their families. Right. He just shifted how, how he saw this. So it shifted how he interacted with people, you know, and he just held a tremendous faith in something bigger. So when, when we're all going through this right now, watch what you're saying about it and uh, catch yourself and reframe that. And then make sure you're always taking those positive actions to move towards what you can create, what you can control and don't pay attention to what you can't control. You know, when they tell me I got to wear masks and I can't go into a restaurant. All right, then. I can't do that. So why am I going to, why am I going to fight that? And why am I going to resist it? You know, why don't I just surrender to that and then say, okay, let me put my energy on what I do want. So why do I go to restaurants? Well, I go to restaurants to get good food and have a little social interaction with people. Okay, great. So I don't necessarily need a restaurant. I just need great food and social interaction. So how can I make that happen somewhere? Oh, all right, good. Let's get two or three couples. We'll do it outside on the back deck. We'll get a couple bottles of wine. And, you know, we'll social distance or we'll make sure everybody's tested for COVID. And there we will have fulfilled that need, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. That you, you do talk about, and I know I listened um, to your most recent, as the time of recording anyway, your most recent Back to Life podcast um, right. with Tab. And you were talking about that idea of resist. And, and while you're resisting, you know, you're, you're unable to be responsible. You're unable to have resilience because you're too busy. And she talked about the physics um, side of things as well. But, you know, that idea yeah. of, you know, if you're butting up against something of equal opposition, you know, you're going nowhere. And, and you mentioned the elections earlier. You know, mm-hmm. America or the US is, is and, and many parts of the globe actually in politics, is stagnant because of this constant resistance. And I feel mm-hmm. that many people's lives uh, that way because they're constantly resisting up against the theories you know if they're believing in conspiracy theories or that you know someone's out to get them that they're the victim mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're unable to find the responsibility that is within you so that right. victim mentality and that resistance is really important right yeah i agree i mean you want you want to you want to be strong and you want to you know you want to support your your causes in a, in a in a human way you know, not, not by burning down cities and, and, you know, burning police cars and all that, that my belief is that that's not, that's not going to bring us the change that we want. Mm. I kind of understand why people do that. And because the life that they've been raised in creates a, a, a very different perspective than the race, the, 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 the way Danny Bader was raised. So I understand it. I, you know, I still don't condone it. We have to, you know, as, as a country and as people and as leaders, we've, we've got to get in there and understand. Don't judge and say, oh, my gosh, look at them. That's so wrong. Let's understand why somebody would go do that. And, and let's, let's help them shift that, you know, that, that perspective, that, that frame of beliefs that it's okay to do that. Because that's the only way we're going to grow through the generations, you know. And I, I don't, I don't, I would love to see that peace manifest in my generation before I die again for the second time. Uh, don't know that it will, but I'm, I'll sure as hell as Danny Bader wake up every day and try to do my part to move towards that. And that's what I, w- I would recommend to your listeners. You know, we got another shirt, a Jackrabbit shirt, LWL, just lead with love. Just lead with love, right? You know, not to the point where you're being taken care of. 
or manipulated or whatever. But the love is the understanding, you know, it's, it's the forgiveness, um, you know, and, and it's, it can still be a tough love that says, Hey, that that's wrong. Love you. We got to make this situation better over there. And this behavior is not acceptable. Just so you know that, and still love you and want to want to work this, these things, but, and that behavior is not acceptable. You know, you can do parents do it with their children all the time. You know, you, you scold or whatever, and they go, oh, you don't love me. No, I, I love the hell out of you. And this is not acceptable because it's not, it's not the person that you're intended to be. You know, you don't, you don't even want to say it's not the person that I want to raise you as. It's just as human beings, we're intended to love one another. You know, that, that's why I was sent back. When I had my accident and I was in that existence with God in this dark, floating, peaceful place, I'm reading this other book right now called The Proof of Heaven. It's a good one. It was written by a, a neuroscientist, Eben Alexander, and he had no belief. So he, he would have, he would see, you know, he operated on brains and he would see people die and they would come back claiming to have had this experience. And he never believed in any of it until it happened to him. He got this really bad infection in his brain and it's, it's a fascinating read. So, um, for me, when I was in that dark, loving, peaceful place that he describes very much the same way I did, I expressed love for my mom and for my girlfriend and my wife now, Lisa, because I had that choice. I was with God. There's no question. I was communicating with God and he, she, God, source, spirit, universe, whatever you might call it, communicated to me and said, do you want to stay or go? And I said, well, what about my mom? And what about you know, my, my girlfriend, Lisa. And it was in that moment that then I was no longer with God, but I was back in the body called Danny Bader. It was the wildest thing ever, man. It was so hard to write about in the book because you're trying, and he says the same thing. Everybody goes through a near-death experience and writes or talks about it. There's not words that we have in our English language or any language. There's not words that describe that experience. They're just not, they're, they're not, they're not here because our words our, our, our vocabulary was created to describe experiences and things that we have here, right? Laptop, bottles, lights, you know, the four or 5% of the people that have near-death experiences, there ain't no words for that, man. The best I can do is love, joy, peace, and calm. And if that's a moment that you reach when you're no longer living on earth, at least, then you yeah. have to find that on earth, don't you? You have to find that calm and love and peace. And that's not going to happen on the Facebook screen. It's going to happen with one-on-one beautiful conversations. It's going to help. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I'm looking up in my office right now. I've got a wonderful plaque and it says wooden plaque. I've got a lot of plaques. And I, anytime I travel around the world, I'll buy a cross, you know, from, I've got some from Mexico and Costa Rica. And when I come to Australia, I'll grab one. Uh, but the plaque says, on earth, there is no heaven, but there are pieces of it. On earth, there is no heaven, but there are pieces of it. Mm. So, yeah, I, I try to create and get back to that experience the best way I can. And when the best way for me to do it is to sit in silence, because another principle of Jackrabbit is to um, be still. So be still. And for me, it's either prayer or meditation. You know, sometimes I'll do some walking. Sometimes I'll be on the beach. There's a lot of different ways to be still. Some people say they'll be, you know, fishing along a river and it just kind of quiets them and they, they feel more of a divine presence. So I, I wouldn't say there's any better way to practice that being still. 
And I know that it's a really important principle to practice. I often say it's in the absence of sound that we hear the most. And I firmly believe that, Matthew, when I went to the Outer Banks of North Carolina in that desperate state of mind, it was, it was in October and back in the 90s. It's a very desolate beach town. It's, it always, it, it's, it's busy from, it's busier now, but back in the 90s, you know, it's busy for the summertime. It's busy from April or May until, you know, end of September. Then all the kids go back to school. People, you know, it's, and it was really desolate. And I'm convinced that that desolate stillness, I mean, I wasn't talking to too many, there's nobody around. That stillness, just I'd walk on the beach and I'd drive my beach, my truck on the beach, and I took a ferry over to an island and I would sit and cry. And that stillness allowed me to hear something inside. And I think when you talk about that's the inspiration, and for me, it's the divine energy. You know, there is an energy that, that is, is God, divine, universe, consciousness, again, spirit. And I believe that there's a piece of that energy in all of us. And my energy was called back to its source when I died, and then it was put back into my body. So we need our heart, right, and our lungs and our brain. You know, they kind of make the body go, but I don't believe that they're the, the, the energy. It's that, it's that essence. You know, I was doing a, 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 a little Facebook Live interview with a wonderful young man. I know his mom, and he's up in Canada, and I think he's only maybe 10 or 12 years of age, and real curious and inquisitive, and she told him about my book, and then she said, would I ever talk to him? So we did a Facebook Live, and it was great. And when I described that to him, he said it was kind of like the Transformers, you know, when they take out that source out of the Transformer that makes them go. And I said, you know what, that, that's, uh, his name is Matthew, too. I said, that, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good way to put it. Oh, beautiful. Thank you for that. Sure. So we've, we've talked about, you've mentioned a couple of the other Jackrabbit principles in passing, but what are the other four once in order? What, what's after the vision? Sure. So yeah, in no particular order, the model is, uh, the model is circular really. Okay. So, um, so you can see in the middle is to develop vision and then be still seek support, right? Where you're asking for help, know thyself and then evolve. So there are the five principles. So to seek support is just that. Where can I go to get support? What podcasts can I listen to? What books can I read? What YouTube Ted talks can I watch? Who in my family and my friends and my professional network, who can help you, right? Then there's a very strong other side of that, of who can I help. So to seek support is one side of that principle. The other side is to be support. You know, just like you said the other other day in in Australia, their suicide, uh, National Suicide Prevention Day, is just to ask a mate and say, how are you? You know, there's likely people in your life that need you more then you're showing up right now. And, not, and when I say you, I mean anybody else listening and you know, myself as well. Not because we're not good people. We're, we're wonderful people. It's just that we get busy in life, right? And, and we got to slow down and just think and say, who might need me a little bit? And then you, you contact them, you call them, you text them, we do whatever and just show up. And like you said, just say, how are you? And, and really mean it, right? Not just to, to say it in passing. How are you? Good, good. Okay, great, done. No, how are you? what's going on in life. And then to evolve is just to continue to grow, undergo continue and gradual growth and change. And to know yourself is your values, right? So when you talk about values, that's a good exercise around knowing yourself, your mindsets and your beliefs, real good around knowing yourself, your purpose. They're all parts of that knowing yourself, right? So here, here's my purpose. Here's how I'm thinking about life right now. 
here's, you know, here's the, the beliefs and the mindset that I'm holding. That's all around knowing yourself. That evolve step, you mentioned the time from 1992 to that coaching course in 2007. Mm-hmm. How did you find out that you wanted to be a coach and, and to share your journey? What was that mm-hmm. evolution for you? Sure. Yeah, that's a great, great question. So what I learned, how I evolved through that, one of the main things I learned is I always wanted to help people. I, I, early on, I thought about being a priest. I, I thought about being a teacher. And then I could coach basketball. I, I always wanted to do that. And I also wanted to avoid conflict with parents and other people that go, oh, no, I mean, that's great and all, but teachers don't make that much money. You should do this. You should major in accounting. So the realization that I had out of that was knowing myself now, I like to please keep everybody happy, but that doesn't serve me well. So that was an evolution that came out of that, the ability to say to people that you love very much, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And, he, and here's why, because I'm Danny and this is, this is how I operate. So as I went through the accident, and some of that came out of it, then I thought, okay, and I bounced around in some jobs. I'm like, what really makes me happy? What do I enjoy? I mean, you think about joy as one of the gifts of, of spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control, what brings you joy? Well, it's very, when people go, I need more joy in my life. I'm like, great. Okay. So what do you enjoy doing? It's, it, it's, no, it's no coincidence that what do you enjoy brings you joy. So joy is the emotion you get from the action you engage with. So then people start saying, well, I, I really like to be in a job where I feel like I'm of service and helping people. Great. I really like to keep myself physically fit. Great. I really like to pay attention to my spirituality. Great. So now you want more joy. You've just got to engage in more of those activities. And it takes time, doesn't it? Because I know for me, I had many goals that I'd con- I just constantly said, that would be great. I wish yeah. I could do that. I wish yeah. I had the opportunity for that. And then all of a sudden, you reach a point where you, you write your goals, you, you speak your goals enough, and all of a sudden, it just hits and, and you're doing it. And, and I think yeah. the doing is so important because we talk the talk so often, you know, we want oh, yeah. to, and, and it's about that walking the walk. And um, oh, there's, there's a great song by a band I love called The Perfect Circle, an American band that the singers from Tool as well, they're sort of a super group that came together, but a recent album called Eat the Elephant. And, and one of the songs is like, you know, you talk like Jesus, but try walking like Jesus, you know? Oh, man. And, That's a and song? That, that's a song. It's a great song. It's beautiful. And I don't know how religious he is necessarily, but I know his mum was, and he takes a lot of religious imagery out of his life. And I was brought up Catholic, but probably yeah. lost the religion out of my life. Not, and I lost the spirituality, but I've got yeah. the spirituality back, I think. Beautiful. And I don't necessarily love the institution or even some of the bits I can't get my head around in terms of with sure. my logic science minds. But with sure. that stillness with that being and with that love of someone whether jesus was exactly how he was word for word in the bible but that person right inspirational person that walked what he did and died you know in the end the ultimate sacrifice yeah yeah yeah, man that we don't all have to die and i know you did danny (laughs) but um there you go (laughs) but it's funny too i came back you know when i came back my my hands had scars and blisters on them Mm. and 
my feet had blisters because my feet had holes in them. The electricity came out of both holes and they took a piece of skin from my side. Right. Wow. So you see the correlation Catholics. Yeah. I remember like my Absolutely. brothers and my sisters laughing one time. They're like, you got hands and you got holes in your hands and feet and a hole in your side. I'm like, mm. don't even go there. <laughs> but you, but in that way, you could have easily turned around and said, well, maybe it's, it's me and I'm back. But instead you said, no, yeah. I'm Danny. I'm Danny. And, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to try and walk the walk here as well. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think it's that walking the walk, which is so hard. And the question I want to touch on now is I'm, fairly young and I find a lot of people resisting change in their history and using their history mm-hmm. to continue going down a pathway that's not necessarily one that brings them joy. Right. Not because they're doing bad things, but they're just not embracing the opportunities that busyness takes over. You know what? You're an adult now. I can't do that. I can't do this. You know, the I can'ts and the blocking. And it would be even harder at the age of 56. You know, you'd probably know some people that are in that for 56 years have lived their life a certain way. Right. And, and it's just that resistance to change because it hurts. It's, it's a grieving process once you, and you mentioned this in your podcast recently as well, the shedding the skin moment. Right. That is a tough thing to do, isn't yeah. it? Well, it, it is. But again, when you just say it is a tough thing to do, that's your belief about that. Mm. So if that's the belief that you're holding, you're very unlikely to take any actions to shed your skin. You see what I mean? So some people could go, oh, no, growth and change is a beautiful thing. I love it. I don't care how old I am. See their beliefs about growth and change? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's difficult sometimes. Oh, yeah, there's parts of it that aren't pleasant, but overall, I enjoy it. It's just how they frame it and how they choose to think about growth and moving through difficult times and everything else. So we got to watch what we say, right? Our words or our stories when we come out. So to your point, though, I just want to throw up because you and I talked about this and and we share a respect for that dude named Jesus. Um, I wrote a book, I Met Jesus for a Miller Lite. So growing up, myself, my brothers, and, uh, you know, all of us, the the Miller Lite, and I know it's morning over there, but Miller Lite is the beer of choice for us here in in the Vader household. So I thought... To your point, because I'm not fully, you know, the Catholic Church has done a lot of things absolutely wrong, criminal. I get it. But like you say, how do you get to the point where you just want to come back to the person's message? So if you truly believed that Jesus was this guy, human, with a divine nature, and he was who he was, as you said, how can you get back? and kind of live like him. And in my first book, there's a a character named Brendan and you'll read it. And he's talking to young Jake and Brendan says, just every day, I try to get up and live more like Jesus did. And Jake says, man, that's pretty hard belief. And Brendan said, well, you know, maybe, maybe not, but that's what I do. I try to live that way. So then in in the book here, I met Jesus for a Miller light. You know, people will sometimes look and go, oh my gosh, is that religious? It says Jesus. And I'll say it does. And it also says Miller light which is a beer and they don't usually go together. So just take a deep breath. So it's just a book about a, um, a football player, an American football player that's very good in college and gets into the professional leagues. And then he gets a few concussions and nobody wants him anymore. So now he's just kind of spinning around. He wanted to play for 12 years, hall of fame, and now he can't. So it's his journey and he meets this character, right? I give it away a little bit. 
But there's a part in there that I wrote with a priest friend of mine, dear priest friend of mine, Father Conley. I've known him for, gosh, since 1981. And he wrote the foreword for the book as well. And we were in the library of the Catholic high school where he teaches. He just retired. And our two sons went there, Luke and Joey. And we were down and he was just helping me with notes and everything because, you know, he knows the teachings of the church, but I didn't want them to come across as teachings of the church. I wanted to get boil them down more to the message. So Michael, the character in the book is talking with Jesus. And Michael says about some people, he says, so should they come back to church? Right. Because nobody goes to church anymore. They were saying, anyway. and, and this character, Jesus looks at him and he says, no, no, no. He says, come back to my message. Everything else will follow. So I would encourage people out there, if you're, if you're struggling in your faith, regardless of what denomination it is, you know, if you, if you have a Christian belief or whatever, you believe in something bigger, come back to the message of your God. You know, come back to the message of the God of your choice. You know, whether, it, whether it's in a Buddha religion, whether it's in, you know, some, some other, you know, Hindu, whatever, come back to that. And, and what I would just suggest, if, if, if it's a God of value, that God leads with love because I, I don't think any gods that we would worship and, and, and worship in a relationship way, not a fearful way. They're all built. It's all built on love. It's gotta be, it's gotta it be. It has to be. And I think the human side of everything brought the fear and the hate and the division. I think that that was the human side, the, the fallible side. And, you know, to, to use yeah the hell side in a way, um, if you go down that Christian way and i think that and you've said this a lot and this is you know find something bigger than yourself and that could be god and in a context for someone that may not believe in god or a faith-based religion there is still things bigger than yourself look up at the stars at night and then realize how small you are look at the ocean or even um i don't know just a plane a field and you go wow the life that's there i even dig up newborn baby yeah a newborn baby Mm. Take care of somebody who's who's battling a, a a really nasty you know health challenge illness, you know put yourself in the position to get a little bit more perspective than where you are, and as yeah. you said you can do it from many many different many different ways you know another and again on my book thing another great book you know that I I read is the case for Christ, Lee Strobel he was a Chicago Tribune Pulitzer Prize reporter. And his wife started to, to grow in her faith and it caused tension in their relationship. And he said, I'm going to go prove that Jesus was not who he said he was. That's what he set out to do. He was a Jewish reporter and he went to, he studied the geography of the area. He studied the whole, the crucifixion and he talked to medical doctors and, and everything. And he came to the conclusion that was he was absolutely who he said he was. And he converted to, um, you know, Christianity. And yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book. But here's the thing, too, as we talk about that, you know, there's something bigger than us. There, there was some research and I saw it. I can't, you could Google it out there. But of the people that were asked if they believed in God, 50% said yes, right? 50% said yes, I believe in God. Of the other 50%, 40% of them, so now we're at 90 they said, I don't call it God, but I believe in something bigger than us. Mm. So now you're walking around like nine out of 10 people on the planet understand that there's bigger, bigger than, than us, our physical form, our human form. 
mm. which I think is pretty cool. We just need to continue to tap into that and, and generate some love, a lot more love. It all comes back to love for sure. And, and, and right love, on. I think, as you said, comes to perspective. And that perspective is when you realize there are things bigger than you. But then there's also agency. There's also that ability to realize that you are responsible. Only you can impact the people around you in the way that you can. Only you can create something unique. Only you can choose your attitude. As you said earlier, that's all, all you can do. That's it. And when you say, you know, you want to just work to inspire people and you are and what inspires you, take care of Matthew, all my listeners, take care of yourself first. That mm. is not selfish at all. You know, I mean, there's self, I, I get there's a selfish way when you lavish yourself with gifts, but I'm just taking, I'm just saying, take care of yourself, take care of your mind, take care of your body, take care of your soul, your spiritual essence, take care of you first, because then you're going to be better off to influence and serve others and love them. Yeah. And return, no, and to, return to love for sure. Return yes. to love. Um, Danny, before I've got one more question before I ask that question, which I ask every episode, would you like to share, you know, a little bit about yourself, where people can find you and, and you know, what you might want some listeners, if they've loved what you've had to say, you know, mm-hmm. what, what they can do from here. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So uh, my web, my website is dannybader.com. They could certainly check out a lot of what I'm up to there. The books are all out on Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble, some of the, the um, internet sellers. I've got a you know, Facebook page, got a YouTube page people could look at. Uh, I'd like for them, if, if they want to take a look at the blog or the uh, podcast, rather, Back to Life with Danny Bader and, and perhaps um, you know, subscribe to that on iTunes or Spotify or wherever they might listen. So, yeah, I'm out there and... and um, I'd be happy to support you in ever any way I can if you want to kind of follow along on any of those social mediums. You know, and I wish everybody listening all the best for sure. Now I'm following a lot of what you put out there and it's always positive and it's always, you know, about that message of hope for others. So keep going. Um, I will, brother. <laughs> and I'll try and do the same. Um, yes, you so- will. Danny, my, my final question for today, the name of the podcast is Moments of Clarity. I'd like you to share a moment of clarity that you've had recently or through this discussion that you'd like to share with, with the listeners today. Yeah, that's great. Moment of clarity. What do you mean by, how do you define clarity? Because I have a couple ideas on this question. It's a great thought. I, I um, Be still. When that yeah. moment of stillness yeah. It often comes along when, when everything around you is falling apart or making you negative or even you're heightened and, and you're just having the greatest day of your life. Yeah. And then you just sit back and you look at everyone laughing and running around and yeah. the sun's out and you go, what a yeah. day. You know, I how great say, is this? I've had, yeah, I love it. I love it. I would say to come to mind, I'm sure I had many moments of clarity like we all do. But I would say the top three moments of clarity were when I was down in the Outer Banks and I walked out of that phone booth. And I said, I had that moment of clarity that said, I have got to get better and I've got to move through this tough time and I will. I would also say that I had a moment of clarity when our firstborn was uh, Luke, our oldest son was born and I left the hospital and I stopped on the way home at a, at a, at a diner and I grabbed a, it was late at night, I grabbed a turkey sandwich and I think I had a Heineken and I was sitting there and I had that moment of clarity that said, man, being a dad is one of the best jobs on the planet. And the third one I had was probably just recently through all this COVID. And, you know, your, your business takes a hit, especially mine. 
And, you know, you, you, you start to worry a little bit and I got to do some of the work that I've offered everybody. But I had that moment of clarity, yeah, probably down at the beach about a week or two ago. And that moment of clarity was just, it was almost like a voice just said, Danny, press on. Like you said, keep going. I always get back to St. Paul said, run the race, fight the good fight. I just had that moment of clarity where it's just peaceful and said, Danny, just keep doing what you're doing, man. And it, it's all going to be okay. Oh, thank you, Danny. That's brilliant. Um, oh, I, I've it, absolutely appreciated every minute and every, every word that you've had to say and, and your insight and wisdom and, and story and journey that, that led you there to, to start helping others in the way that you are today. So I really appreciate your time. And um, yeah. I'm sure we'll be able to catch up and have a chat soon. Oh, I would love it. And I just want to acknowledge you too for the great work that you're doing. You know, I know you've got a full-time gig, you got a, a little baby coming and you're still growing and building the podcast. And I'm, I'm fairly certain you'll, you'll have a lot of success with that and, and inspire people because that's how you'll measure it, right? Brilliant. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Right on, mate. If anyone out there that is feeling a little bit down on this Are You OK Day in Australia, reach out to, to either one of us. We're both here to listen and there's probably a network of people that you don't realize that love you, but they do. So reach yes, out to absolutely. them as well. Absolutely. Matthew, you're a good man. I'm glad our paths crossed. For sure. Send me Thank your address. You. I'll send you some jackrabbit gear. Can't wait. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. All right. All right. Cheers, Cheers, mate. See you, mate. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast, or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on momentsofclaritypodcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney, and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.